Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. Who are you? In this episode, Pastor Andrew looks into our spiritual self and the facade we can sometimes show the world. A couple of weeks ago, we raised the question of, who are you? But it was a question that Saul was asking Jesus when Jesus had knocked him off his donkey. And Jesus finally said, well, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And that was an upside-down revolutionary concept for Paul who was in the business of defending his God by killing every Christian he could get his hands on and really persecuting Jesus. But I want to ask the question in a different sense today. And that is, who are you? Who am I? One preacher once said that we need to die to yourself and come alive to you. But I think he got that reversed. You need to die to you and come alive to yourself. And the reason I think that's reversed is Jesus says you should love your neighbour as yourself. So if you love yourself, then you shouldn't be going around dying to it. But why is there a you and yourself? Aren't they the same person? And the question is, are you today yourself or you? And I want to unpack the difference. In Psalm 139, The psalmist says these words. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I'm awake, I am still with you. Now the wonderful works that David is talking about is himself. And there's a sense in what he's saying that a lot of that 
wonderful assessment, wonderful being, is contained within whom we are, not just the external frame. And of all people, of men particularly, of commanders of armies, David was the least of the he-men. He was called comely, which I'm sure was not missed by his brothers who were he-men, pumping iron. And David just didn't look like he pumped iron. David was a comely man, which wouldn't really go well with the job he was given to lead the armies of Israel and finally to be king. But he understood that our true meaning and true being wasn't limited to what we look like physically. You know, most of us will have some problems with our physical makeup. And it doesn't matter how handsome you might be, how gorgeous you might be. There's this sense of our body is just not up to scratch. And in a sense, our being is not up to scratch. So are we this person that God has made us to be? Do we live according to our true sense and our true meaning? Or do we live to our facade? And you know, the impact of sin in our life creates an alter ego. The person that we present to the world that we think the world wants us to be. In recent decades, of course, we've had young people who've decided to track all that and to go against everything that the world possibly could want them to be. As if they were discarding the facade. But not realising that the very discarding of the facade is developing the facade in a different way. Because if we can't deal with sin, we can't deal with the facade. Because the facade is impacted by our attitudes, our perspective, and the things that we do. That when we go against our own conscience, we go against ourselves. Because our conscience is innately linked with who we truly are. And so we need to breach sin in our life in order that we can truly be ourselves. That we can die to you and live to yourself. And I'm intrigued in the message from Revelation that there's the Lamb. Now the problem with Revelation is you've got to work out whether it's been literal or metaphoric. Does Jesus really just look like a lamb up there? 
Or is it the sense of what he did as the Lamb of God that holds that picture, that perception, so that he doesn't necessarily physically look like a lamb, but he holds everything within himself that indicates the sacrifice that he had made for us. That he's the sacrificial lamb. The lamb slain in our place. But it's even deeper than that. I was intrigued by our song that we glorify your name. And then you've got these words, consuming fire. And the Bible, the New Testament, talks about God being a consuming fire. So yes, God is love, but he's also righteous. He's just. But what was intriguing is that we were able to use that statement about God without any sense of fear. Not sure what the author of those words was thinking we maybe should be afraid. But here is our God, a consuming fire, for which we have no fear of. And if you've been following our Lenten notes on the fear of the Lord, you'll see the sense of why we can come to God and not be afraid. Because who is this God? You have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And throughout Scripture, you have the Father and the Son on thrones. There seems to be a sense of the Holy Spirit on a throne. He's a different person of the Godhead. But you have this majesty, this uniqueness, this beauty. In almost every description that reveals the throne and the power and the presence and the holiness and the love of God. And then God did something off the books. The Son took human form in the person of Jesus Christ. The secular scholars, the secular wise men, thought that was just stupid. What a stupid concept. To think that God would take human form, despite the fact that many of the Roman and Greek gods had human form. For the wise men, the secular wise men of Paul's days, they just thought that was such a ridiculous idea that God would take human form. For the Jewish wise men, it was a stumbling block. How could God possibly do this? But think about what shifts in the whole essence of eternity when God the Son takes human form through the power of the Spirit in a virgin named Mary. 
how incredible that is. But what's more incredible is that once the sacrifice has been made, the son doesn't return to his original form. He doesn't discard the body of Jesus. Going back into the early centuries, some scholars couldn't just handle that the Son of God could possibly die on the cross. So what they had theologically was that just before Jesus gave up the ghost and died, the Son of God left him. So that when Jesus died, it was just the human Jesus. And we should be really thankful that the fathers of the church, the bishops, rejected such an idea. Because it belittles the sacrifice that he made for us. It undermines it at an incredibly deep level. It takes away the whole essence and meaning of Jesus being a sacrificial lamb. And so he holds, at least metaphorically, the lamb who was slain, the lamb sitting on the throne. Because the Son of God who now sits on the throne is not the same entity that he was before he left his throne, emptied himself, as Paul tells us, and took the form of a servant in the person of Jesus Christ. That he's kept the essence of the combination of divinity and humanity in the person of Jesus, and he holds it forever on the throne and he holds it there with the signs of the sacrifice that he made for us. So do you know what goes on in our world? That the devil and others try to undermine that very thought. Because Jesus' act of sacrificial lamb enables the words of Psalm 139 that David was expressing to come back true in our life. That we can be truly the man or the woman God always intended us to be. No matter our situation in life, no matter the troubles and difficulties we face, no matter the abuse we've been through, at least for some of us, no matter the demeaning processes we've had to survive and endure, who's ever tried to learn the violin And someone said, why don't you stop that screeching noise? Or you try to learn the drums and someone says, why don't you beat it, kid? 
How many times have you stepped out to do something and everyone is against you? Everyone makes you look foolish. And you know as we grow older it gets worse. Because we know that some of those dreams that we had that we never really stepped out to own enough are now beyond us. But you know what we're not beyond? We're not beyond being the person God created us to be. That potential to be all that God intended us to be is still there. Doesn't matter what restrictions, failures, fears, no matter what aggression we've faced, no matter what troubled waters we've been through, that we can step out of our alter ego, that ego that has been established by sin in our life, that compromises time and time again who we really are, and be the man or woman that God always intended us to be. David Wilkerson is famous for his outreach to gangs in New York City and setting up drug rehabilitation places and homes for hard-die drug addicts. But he had one flaw. And he detested middle-class kids in the hippie movement who left the luxurious nature of their homes and went to places like Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco and other places. He wasn't interested in them. He was interested in the gangs, the slums, those who had had no chance in life. And despite his mother begging him time and time again to start some sort of outreach, he refused to do it. So you know what she did? She started it with a friend. Grey hair and all. She could have given up, but she saw that there was a need there that needed to be attended to, and if her son wouldn't do it, she would do it. So you can't excuse yourself from the purpose of God just because you've got a bit old or older. And you still can't excuse yourself if you got tired and weary. You know the difficulty with tired and weary is and I understand arthritis and I understand all the things that cause pain and all that. But how do you know that the weariness is not because you're just old, but because you've lost vision. You've lost a sense of what you could do. You might not be able to do it by yourself, but it's something that you could do with others. And you know, nobody else thinks like you think. You realise that? And if you look around, there's nobody else that looks like you to start with. 
But if we're going to take David's words really seriously, it's not the physical outlook that is so prominent in this person he describes as God's wonderful works. It's the internal nature. And our internal nature can so glow in God that we can rise up and do almost anything. You know, Isaiah talks about the old and frail and he compares them to young men who will fall down exhausted. But those who wait upon the Lord will rise up with wings of eagles and they'll run and not be weary and they'll walk and not faint. And you have two different types of tiredness. You have physical tiredness. And if you're physically tired and you go and lay down for a nap, you'll get up feeling better. And then you have fatigue, which is emotional tiredness. And if you go and have a lay down, you won't feel any better when you get up. That you might feel worse. And you know what I think waiting upon the Lord does? It does one of two things. It deals with the fatigue. It breaches the emotional fatigue that afflicts us. The emotional fatigue that limits us, holds us back, undermines us, saps our strength, saps our vision, and we can breach that because of this consuming fire. You know, when we were in Garden City, we would sing these songs about Send the Fire. And in all those years, listening to different versions of this song, God send your fire. And saying, I'm not quite sure we realize what we're asking God to do here. What would it mean if God actually sent his fire? Would the building burn up? What would it be that God would be doing in us that is an answer to such a song or such a prayer? And from my reading of the scriptures, Yes, there is a fire. It's a refining fire. It's a cleansing fire. It's supposed to change our inward parts. It's supposed to change our motivations, our attitudes, our perspective. And over the years as I've watched these congregations do this, nothing changed. So the fire didn't work. So how does God refine us? He puts us into circumstances where he asks us to rise up and be godly in the circumstance that we face. That's what the refining is about. So when you're praying, God, send the fire, you're asking God to send trouble. So in a sense, do I really want God sending trouble? 
It's like the humility thing, isn't it? God, please make me humble. So what do you think God's going to do to do that? He's going to get his humbling machine out and start cranking us through it. That we're going to face situations where we can respond either in arrogance or truly humble ourselves. So when we ask for fire from heaven, we're asking for trouble that will turn us upside down and refine our internal motivation, perspective and attitudes. Now, trouble will come without you asking for it. You realise that? You've seen that? Who's had a bit of trouble this week? Did you ask for it? Did you cause it? Well, sometimes we cause it. We don't necessarily ask for it, but we can cause it. So what did you do with it? How did it change you internally to be a better man or woman of God than you were at the beginning of the week? Or did you groan and moan? Did you, oh, i just got to get through this? Rather than, how do I transform this? How do I change this circumstance, this trouble, this difficulty into something that's going to bear fruit for the kingdom of God? That's going to reflect the power of the consuming fire that is in my life. And it's an interesting concept, isn't it? How close can you get to consuming fire? You would like a nice wooden fire. But what you don't really want and what you can't get really close to is a consuming fire. And yet we can get close enough to God for him to transform our life. For us to die to our old self and come alive to the God, to the person that God always intended us to be. Paul describes it as having treasure in our heart. It's a treasure in your heart. Is it being refined? Is it glowing within? Or does God need to do some more work through us and in us? This consuming fire, the lamb who was slain, who has so breached the demonic hordes of this world and the evil that it contains, humiliated them on the cross. And he has an intention. And we need to get a hold of the intention and put all of our life into working with God for its achievement. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for who you made us to be. Help us to die to our old self that we can take a hold of our true ego, our true personhood, to be the people you intended us to be. And help us to overcome the overwhelming negative thoughts 
that would make us feel useless and have no purpose. Raise up your church here in the purpose you have for us that we might truly glorify your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.